Hello, and welcome to Can Architecture Fix This? A podcast where we explore challenging design questions through stories and conversations with expert guests. For the past few years, our studio has had a focus on water, which might sound strange for an architecture office, but for us, it's become clear that designing cities, neighborhoods, buildings, landscapes, what have you, needs to consider the relationship that those projects have with the waterscapes around them not just in terms of technical challenges that we know are coming from more water and changing climate, but also the psychological and social benefits we can introduce when water is considered as an asset rather than just a challenge. So about two years ago, our studio gathered a number of articles from colleagues and outside collaborators featuring stories about designing where water is a primary concern. We published those stories in a book anthology entitled Out of the Blue, and we thought it would be great to share some of those stories in the form of a podcast. So over the next episodes, we're checking back in with some of the contributing authors to the book to hear their stories firsthand and discuss whether and how architecture can fix some of the challenges we're facing today. We are kicking off the first episode by asking the question, can architecture fix flash flooding? We've invited Einstein Grenning to share a story about a project he did in Oman in the city of Muscat. As you'll hear in the interview, Muscat is the hottest capital city in the world, and the climate is really dry most of the year. Then, all of a sudden, they might receive several years worth of rainfall in just a few hours. It's dangerous and it's critical. Einstein was part of a team brought in to develop a new urban strategy for the city, including water management but he quickly found out that the challenges they faced were not just technical. They needed to find a way to connect to the locals to learn what they already knew and find solutions that will work for decades to come. And there were a few surprises along the way. Now, just some information for our listeners who may not be familiar with Oman. In the interview, Eistan and I talk about both Muscat, which is the capital city and region, but we also talk about Mutra, which is the old port town and is part of the Muscat region. We hope you'll enjoy the story. Einstein Grenning is an architect and urban designer in Oslo, Norway, where he runs his own studio called Migrant AS, Architecture and Urbanism. Einstein teaches at the National Academy of the Arts in Oslo, and he is also a contributing author to the book anthology Out of the Blue. Welcome, Einstein. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to talk to you as always. Likewise, likewise. Before we get into the article that you wrote for the book, Out of the Blue, I wonder if you can just say a little bit about what it's like to work with architecture and urbanism and planning in contexts as far reaching as the Arctic North and deserts in, in Africa and Oman. There's something about the essence of what we do that really doesn't, isn't different whether you work in, in uh, the extreme north of Norway or in, in uh, the world's hottest capital, Muscat, in Oman. Um, and the challenges certainly aren't very different, but there's always a new context that you have to relate to. But that's the same if you work in various parts of Oslo as well. You always have to, uh, to realize that there is a context and you have to respect uh, the fact that you're working with human beings, with people anywhere you work, and, and, and if you don't get that, uh, you lose a lot of, of what the learning potential of our profession is. Mm. 
and the and the creative potential in our in our profession. I don't. I I really haven't found that different in the Arab world than I have in in North Norway or in Oslo or in Southern Norway or anywhere. Mm-hmm. Not really. Okay, um, then let's get into the article. This week, we are asking the question, can architecture fix flash flooding? It's a really serious design challenge becoming all the more critical with climate change. Mm. You worked on a project in Oman and then later wrote this article for the book called Arid Floods and Wetland Droughts. And that deals precisely with this topic. Could you tell a little bit about how you came to work on a project in Mutra? Uh, what that was, and, and then leading up to that flash flood that it took to, to learn some lessons. Well, yes, uh, we, we uh, I was part of the Norplan group as a senior consultant, uh, <clears throat> uh, and um, we won an international competition with quite fierce uh, competition actually to to um, uh, to do a urban renewal project in this ancient port town. Uh, with structures that are uh, considerably older than 500 years, uh, the oldest buildings are that old. And, um, and the, the, the um, technical infrastructure situation wasn't very good. They needed, badly needed something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they, uh, uh, and they added two more things. Uh, and one was cultural heritage uh, uh, preservation or protection. And I would say that uh, that was as badly needed as the technical infrastructure part. And then sustainability. Uh, and, and the funny thing, after they had awarded it to us, uh, after a final round where we made a presentation and, and seemed able to convince them that we have the kind of approach that they want, we'll not only have all the answers already. Mm-hmm. Exactly. As, as some people always do because they've done it many times and they have the book. They might may, might even have written the book. Mm-hmm. And they come with the conventional solutions to, to well-known uh, problems all the time. Mm-hmm. We didn't, yeah. but we challenged our, uh, uh, the ones who would commission us this work uh, that if we're going to succeed here, we have to do it together. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's very important on this kind of, this scale of project that we, we don't really have the answers and and it's very tempting to try to convince a client that we know how to do it just give it to us we'll take care of it for you but it's much more responsible and in that way sustainable when you do it together and back to what we've already said you learn from what they've already developed as solutions that work in their context and then you bring something you find a good um, complementary relationship well the funny thing here was that they had all four they were engineers they'd all foreseen this uh state-of-the-art technology that we'd bring in, uh, I mean, really heavy stuff and really expensive stuff and really big constructions. Mm. Uh, But but after this flash flood that we had, uh, where I abandoned our office and and got down to Matraha as far as as I could uh, and and waded through the floods, uh, I realized that the whole city was... was, uh, designed to, to, to work with, not against the floods. The old city. The old city, mm-hmm. the, the main streets were the lowest streets. We didn't have good contour maps at all. So we couldn't see meters differences in heights. So mm-hmm. we didn't really know these things, mm-hmm. uh, but all the shops were six steps above 
street level. Yeah, that's not uh, universal accessibility, uh, but it worked because all the shops were dry. Yeah, all the goods were were intact. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas the street was the sewerage. The street actually took care of the of the flooding water. The streets did. The main streets did. Mm -hmm. Uh, and interestingly, all the new, newer parts of Matra that had been planned by international consultancies and uh, built by international uh, you know, builders were flooded and people drowned in their cars because yeah. they were stuck in flooded street areas. A hospital had to be evacuated by helicopter because they were underwater. Mm -hmm. So modern planning yeah. was part of the problem because yeah. of the methodology that they use when they plan. Yeah. And just for people who may not know anything about the geography of this city, how close is the modern city to the old city? Well, the, 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 the modern city or the contemporary city stretches uh, beyond inland mm -hmm. and, and alongside a long wadi, a, a valley area. Um, and, and since they've never really considered anything but pumping when it comes to water and not natural flood uh, the, the, they were in uh, well deep water when uh, <laughs> uh, rain really came that was a good one yeah uh, so, so so this was a paradox in many ways and and I'd, I'd gotten to I'd gotten to know the place quite well at the time and so I, th I think I was I was ripe for the picking mm -hmm. but but then all of a sudden things fitted. The city has been there 500 years. It goes without saying that they've managed over these years. I just didn't ask the question. Yeah. And they thought I knew. Mm. Yeah, or, we. Or the locals, the locals thought I knew. Mm. We brought the locals into uh, on a participatory uh, basis, and they've never been uh, had that kind of a confrontation ever before. Yeah. They haven't been asked. Yeah. So if we had started by asking, we might have gotten up different answers. They, we suggested that maybe we shouldn't invest in this uh, fancy schmancy uh, sewerage gear and just leave it as it is and, and rather use the money for uh, cultural heritage preservation and, and a few other uh, less expensive uh, in, uh, interventions. Mm. Uh, but uh, that wasn't quite the answer they uh, wanted. So. Yeah. Yeah. The last time I heard you speak about this before today was in 2019 when Oslo was the European Green Capital. And we made an event, um, our, our white architecture studio, we made an event called Out of the Blue um, where we were presenting some of the stories from the book and you were one of our main speakers. And um, even after I had read your article, but hearing you speak about it and show these photos, it made such an impression. And we heard for months afterwards from people in the audience that they couldn't get that story out of their head. It was very impactful. Um, so thanks again for sharing it then and now. So what is the update of what is happening in Mutra right now? Well, I, I wish I had good news. I, I, I was in contact with my main client, uh, I mean, my, my, my counterpart. I was the, project, uh, I was the team leader. Uh, on our side, and he was the team leader on their side uh, today. Uh, and he says the project at some point came to a standstill. Mm -hmm. Now, I know the reasons. There was a change in political leadership of, of the governorate of, of Muscat. Yeah. 
uh, and uh, our head person at the time, who was very enthusiastic about all our work, uh, was kicked upwards. Oh. Uh, and a new person came in who had to prove his, uh, you know, his his uh, new part, and and he, he he stopped the whole project. Okay. He wasn't in on the sustainability bit, so he didn't understand why we were so. Uh, against, uh, for example, uh, private cars and so mm -hmm. on and so mm -hmm. forth. Uh, I mean, more parking and, and so, so it, it's the usual story, I'm, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. I know it so well from my own country, mm -hmm. but, but it is a standstill. The, the news today was that uh, from, my, from my client was that they were hoping that they, they could get a go ahead in more detailed planning soon. Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, that's where it is. I know that the, our interventions, by and large, uh, have not been uh, realized. Mm. That's a shame. Yes. Yeah, on that, what, on the, on the new guy who came into that role and, and didn't understand the sustainability, it's always a difficult discussion to convince people that the next five years is not the time frame we're working with. It's the next fifty years or the next. 500 years that we need to be thinking about and it's so it's amazing it so often gets hung up on cars and parking so so the proofs need to be there on the short short term as well they need mm -hmm. to see uh, sudden changes okay so your hope is that potentially in the coming year or two or five those short-term interventions can get the space they need and the momentum they need so that the longer-term interventions can also get some momentum behind them Yes. Mm. Yes. They're, they're not very costly and they're not difficult. Yeah. So back to your article, you reflect on how we could potentially see extreme weather as an asset in the future. And I know that you explored this through, well, you've probably explored it through multiple architecture studios now, but I know of one in particular at NTNU, the Norwegian University of Science and Technology in Trondheim. Mm. So do you want to tell us a little bit about how the students were attacking the uh, challenges of extreme weather and climate change? Well, they, they, they did something that's quite refreshing. They said, we're, we're going to have more, we're going to have to get used to a lot more rain as it is in Trondheim. Yeah. Uh, and it rains quite a lot there uh, beforehand. Uh, and, it, and, and, and their credo was that instead of seeing this as a bad thing, let's look at it. Uh, if we look at this as a good thing, what then? Yeah. What, what if we did? And, and they developed a really nice project uh, on, on that basis. Uh, whereas one would often think as we did in Matra, that this is a problem that we have mm -hmm. to find solutions to. Mm -hmm. Uh, they they saw it as an asset that we need to work with. Yeah. Uh, so, so more that, water was going to be a good thing. Well, that's their uh, that's their the basis of their work, and they showed us how, and it was quite a good. Uh, it was a very good actually student work. Uh, I gave them an A, and they. Did. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good good sign. Yeah. What yeah, what but, kind of anecdotes or 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 were there little things that you kind of that stick in your head because they were like, oh, of course we should be doing that. Well, no, but, but it's, it's, it's about uh, uh, holding on to the water that comes in various ways, storing mm -hmm. it where they can, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. uh, but, 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 but again, as we worked with in Matrach as well, make a series of dams so that you enclose the water instead of, of just funneling it out into the ocean. Mm -hmm. 
it, it might drain into the ground, fine. Uh, and if it doesn't, um, keep it because it, it cools down temperatures in the high temperature uh, range of the air. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the movement helps uh, uh, ventilating uh, your immediate surroundings. Mm. But also you can use it for skating in the winter. A, a series of small dams are great to play on. Absolutely. So, 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 and that's different from a brook or a small river yeah. that will just float. Mm. And in that case, you can, you can say it's an engineering assignment to slow down the water, but it's absolutely an architecture or landscape architecture project because you design how that happens yes. so that you get multiple uses out of that. Yes, and, and you can, who knows, uh, they certainly had come up with a great deal of interesting ideas along the way when they see we do this, what then? Mm -hmm. Oh, there's an option. And you pursue these, uh, these new um, possibilities that come up uh, through your intervention, your, pro your, your first intervention. And that's how designers should work. Yeah. And you don't really know where it takes you. It just, as Bruce Mao says, uh, you just want know that you want to be there. Um, great. You end your article by referencing the challenges we're facing in Oslo, very similar to Trondheim. Uh, more annual rainfall than we've ever seen in previous generations. And of course, that's putting strain on our infrastructure. And you end the article with this call to action for all of us working with architecture and planning. And I want to quote you here. You say, the key is practical design, not formalism. So for any of our listeners who may not be as savvy with our industry jargon, can you elaborate by what you mean on practical design versus formalism? Well, yes, uh, I, I'll try. Uh, first and foremost, I really believe in the knowledge of people who've lived along the river. They know things that uh, it's smart to ask about, yeah. uh, always. Uh, and the practical interventions are, the good thing about them is that they don't cost a lot. They're not necessarily high-tech, they're low-tech. And the great thing about low-tech is that anyone can do them mm -hmm. and anyone can fix it. Yeah. And there's great learning. There's a pedagogical uh, challenge to that precise thing where you can bring in the school classes of quite young children who will learn how things work. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and you can enable them to actually fix things. Um, then the last question I want to raise is the way we're going to end all of our interviews. The name of our podcast is Can Architecture Fix This? And today we've focused that around flash flooding, but it's ballooned out into some other big theories and themes. So just to bring it back to where we started, do you think that architecture can fix flash flooding? Or is that too narrow of a question? And if so, how should we reframe it? Well, I think... Uh... I think architecture is part of the solution of the things that we need to fix. Mm -hmm. and, and it is so because uh, not only are we good with the physical design, but also with how things actually work. Mm -hmm. So we are a voice in that and a hand in that that is needed. Yeah. And, and, and people like things better if it's well-designed, not necessarily pretty to the eye, but well-designed. Than, than if not, if it's awkward, for example. So, so the answer basically is yes. 
And I think our obligation is when, as we work with the landscapes in Oslo and, and reopen the, the small rivers, mm -hmm. uh, you can see that architects, landscape architects have done wonderful jobs in, 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 in making the water accessible in more than one way. Eystein Grenning, thank you so much for being here. It is always a pleasure to talk with you. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure entirely. Thank yes. you. Where could people go to find more information either about the Oman project or about your work and studio in general? Website or social media? Well, I, I'm not very active uh, on any on either. I've, uh, my, my company has a, has a Facebook page. I don't use it a lot. Okay. Uh, but uh, people still call me when there's something. And I'm so old now that I like to use uh, more, much more of my time uh, painting and sketching out in the nature than, than I was able to for so many years. But I'm available. Uh, okay, so if people want to find you, they should find you in a park with a sketchbook. Or, or, <laughs> or on the internet. Okay, very I'm good. Then okay. we will link to that in our show notes. Okay. Thank you again for being here. That's the story this week. Thank you all for listening. If you would like to learn more about Einstein's office migrant, you can find it online on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash migrant Norway in one word. Can Architecture Fix This is produced by White Architecture in Oslo. Ingrid Klevon is our production manager. She also composes our music. Sophia Benson is our managing director. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you have a minute, please give us a rating. It helps others find us. You can also find us on Instagram under the handle White Architecture Oslo or visit our website at www.whitearchitecture.com. Join us next week when we speak with Taryn Fergus and hear stories about reopening Oslo's rivers and ask the question, can architecture fix urban water management? I'm Rebecca Shaberg, and this was Can Architecture Fix This from White Architecture.